Yo, yo, yo. What is up, guys? I'm G. And there's no Dom tonight. Um, tonight, I am alone. But I am going to be having some incredible guests on. Um, I met um, our guests in a couple, a, a couple of years ago at a um, wholesaling training. And everybody was talking about these people crushing it, this couple crushing it. And then we finally got to meet them. And when I met them, I was like, holy shit, these are some strong individuals. And I'm excited to have them on tonight. Um, as you guys know, we go live every week and bring the heat, right? We are no fluff. We are not gurus. All we do is interview high-performing people in our industry so that we can learn and from us learning everybody else will learn so uh let's let's cue on tiffany and josh what's, hey, going, everyone, on? what's going on hello hello thanks hello. for having us on tonight yeah super super excited thanks again for doing this um we got we got um a lot to get into um so you know i kind of know your guys' story and your background um i feel like i've I've seen you guys at like three or four events now, um, but for those people tuning in, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves, um, Josh and Tiffany, how you guys kind of got started in the game, and then where you guys are now, right? Give us a little bit about the beginning, but I want you to also talk about what you got going on now, um, because you guys are absolute rock stars, and I know you've only been in the game for about a little under five years, right? So... Um, for you guys to be doing what you're doing at this stage is insane. Um, yeah. Um, well, we started back, uh, I'll actually never forget the day. I uh, quit my job on May in May of 2017. Um, but long story short, I was uh, working in the building material space. I actually love my job. I love my career. I didn't leave it because I didn't like it. Um, so I definitely wasn't looking to leave. Uh, at the time, my younger brother, I'm the oldest of a big family, got diagnosed with cancer. Oh, man. And um, he was still in high school. My siblings were still in high school. And at the same time, Josh's dad was um, also battling cancer. And it was just one of those. I woke up. It was Good Friday in uh, May of 2017. I didn't tell anyone. I just walked in that day and I said, you know what? I, and really what led up to it was my brother was in the hospital for about a year. And I, uh, mm -hmm. I was overseeing 16 asphalt plants. I was traveling all over the country. And I realized, you know what, like the lifestyle I had, although I was moving up, I love my job. My career wasn't going to support being a mom. And, oh, uh, no. and so I just remember sitting in the hospital one day, my parents are with my brother um, and they own a few companies and they hadn't left his side, literally physically at the hospital for over 300 days. No. And companies were still running. They're still successful. And it kind of opened my eyes to like, Hey, like I need to be the mom that my mom's being in that moment someday, if anything were to happen. Um, and what I'm doing today doesn't get me there. Um, so yeah. I literally woke up, quit my job and I, I had no idea I was even going to be in real estate. I, um, I was a private lender at the time I had taken my corporate bonuses. I private lended them to a guy in Columbus, Ohio that was flipping. Um, so I'd, after I had quit my job, um, I literally picked up the phone. I called him. I said, Hey, I'm bored. I don't have a job now. Um, can I come see this flip that I'm private lending on? So he walks me through the flip. He shows me the before and afters. And I just remember standing there thinking like, well, how much money are you going to make on this? And he said, 80 grand. I'm like, well, no disrespect, but if you're going to fucking make 80 grand on this, I can do this too. So um, anyways, I was like, so how did you learn how to do this? And he, you know, uh, guided me towards the education program that he was in and how he learned. Next day, I dropped twenty five grand, and I started. I did forty flips in the next year. So Jesus. So that was twenty seventeen. Mm -hmm. So you did forty flips from May. No, no. no. So I back. So it took me six months to get my first deal, though. So, oh, okay, okay. So for six months, um, I was like, you know, a lot of people in the beginning. I dabbled a little bit in marketing. I'd send some mail out. I'd get leads. I was scared shitless to talk to a seller. Um, and I really didn't have systems. I had no processes. 
And ultimately, you know, we're six months into this. And I remember looking at Josh thinking like, uh, I'm going to have to get my job back. And, um, and he was like, no, I think that we can do this. I know we can do it. And he was still working full time. And he's like, give me two more weeks. Give me two weeks. I'm going to master sales. When we get the next lead, like I am landing this deal. So he went out, you know, met with a seller, landed the deal. We made 18 grand and like our confidence after that skyrocketed. And then from that day, moving forward for the next year after that, um, we did about 40 rehabs that first year. So your first year. <laughs> yep. No way. Yeah. And that was on a flip deal? Yeah, it was a flip. Okay. And then Josh, when did you get in the picture, man? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I'll never forget. So we weren't, um, we had just gotten engaged and so we weren't married yet. Tiff yeah. calls me and I'll never forget this phone call. Hey, I'm walking, they're walking me out. I quit, put in my two weeks notice and they're just walking me out. And I was like, what in the world are you doing? Yeah, Tiff was in a very high paying job. You know, she's doing very well. And um, one thing that I'll kind of, uh, I'll fill in a blank here too, is like Tiff had built a small, I say small, very small rental portfolio. But these 10 properties were basically generating enough cash flow where I mean, she was making more off than I was in my full time. Right. And that was the island for me. I'm like, holy, this real estate thing is the real deal. I need to start learning about this stuff. And my background was in construction. When we started talking about, I knew immediately that I could help out from managing those projects. Oh, right. He was still in his full job. Um, and so he would come home from work. He would work till two in the morning and go to his full-time job. Like, I mean, our relationship at the time, um, we called off our wedding for about 24 hours. And uh, well, I did anyways, I was like, you're never home. You know, you don't have time for me. Although I, I was the one holding him back. I had like a little baby, went home to my dad. My dad was like, well, why the fuck does he even have a job anymore? You have six houses in the queue that are going to make a hundred grand. Right. And, you know, back then I was like scared not to have health insurance. And then he really laid it out like, hey, health insurance is only $500 a month. You'll be right. fine. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. So anyways, I came back that night, you know, through all the emotions and said, you know what? I need you to quit your job. We're still getting married. We're going to push this thing forward. And he quit his job the next day and it's been history ever since. Dude, that's yeah. awesome. Josh, I want to, I want to dig in a little, um, for how long were you working your full-time job and closing deals at the same time? Uh, about a year. It took about a year because the first six months, like Tiff had said, um, we failed miserably landing our first deal. We were creating leads. We were creating opportunities and we just didn't know how to talk to sellers. And one question I get a lot, and I think it's something to bring up right now is people are always asking us, hey, what's the golden list, right? What's the one magical marketing uh, system or channel, right? The reality is they all create opportunities. Yep. The key is, are we focusing on our conversation with the sellers? That's really where you're gonna land the opportunities. Um, so what I did is I started to focus on those conversations I was having with sellers, started practicing NLP, neuro-linguistics programming, literally took two weeks and focused on three tactics and landed our first deal by using those three tactics. NLP. So I learned NLP from um, Tony Robbins. Uh, I went to a Tony Robbins conference in like 20, shit, 2015. And he was just talking about NLP and I remember digging in and I'm so happy that you brought that up, man, because you are 100% right. Everybody's always worried about, you know, uh, the magic list, uh, list stacking so they can get to the most motivated leads. Um, and, or they just, they're in the game and they haven't been able to close a deal. And the one thing that they're missing is exactly what you just said right, is, is being able to close a deal, being able to talk to a seller and negotiating a deal, getting them to sign the contract. Um, so would you mind going in and, and you know, explaining those three things? Absolutely. So the three tactics that I used were adverb presuppositions, 
embedded commands and tie downs. So an adverb preserves conditions. <laughs> adverb presuppositions. That's ultimately what that is. It's it's okay. a uh, it's an assumption. And we want the seller to, we are assuming that they basically agree with us. And I'll break down a sentence. One of the sentences that I actually used in converting that sale. Um, so we use an adverb presupposition, which is an assumption. Um, we use an embedded command, which is commanding their subconscious mind to do a certain thing or feel a certain way. Um, and then we do a tie down, which gets them to agree. Uh, so... Um, the sentence that I used was I was working with this lady and um, she was spending, so she was up in Northeast Ohio. She spent her weekends driving to Columbus to work on this house that they had just gotten rid of a tenant on. And it was consuming her time. It was causing relationship issues, a, a whole lot of things with her personal life. And ultimately uh, what it came down to is they were asking 55,000 for the house. And I ended up getting it locked up at 25,000. And the key thing here was, excited. oh, dude, I know, like a 50%, 50% of what they were asking. Isn't that crazy? Um, but the key was getting her to agree and recognize that it wasn't so much about price for her. It was more about her time and how that time impacted her day-to-day -day life. And uh, so what I hit her with was, hey, you know, obviously, which is the adverb that I chose, obviously, you will feel relieved. So that's the embedded command. You will feel relieved uh, when you're driving back home this evening, knowing that you won't have to come down here anymore and spend your free time working on this house. Right. right. So that end saying right as a uh, statement, that was the tie down. And you could see her nodding her head as I'm talking through this, which is exactly what you want to do when you're using this. And she saw exactly the message that I was trying to convey was how selling this house now, this route was the most easiest and convenient option for her to buy back her time. Right. And are you guys still closing deals right now in person? No. So we've shifted to, I mean, nine, what is it? 90% like 90 to 95% of our deals are all locked up over the phone. Okay. Gotcha. Hell yeah. And, and um, what is, what does your team look like now? So we have um, five salespeople. Uh, we, uh, our salespeople are broken up into different roles. So we have what we call a fault specialist. Um, they move up, they can get promoted. Then they get promoted into a closer. Then they get promoted into a team lead. Uh, we have an operations coordinator. Um, Myself and who and an exact full time executive admin on the active side. Gotcha. And then, um, what about the your VA team? Yep. So we have a pretty massive uh, VA team that supports us on the back end. Um, we honestly, I don't know how many VAs that work we work with at this point for our own individual company. Gotcha. Uh, we did, we were very fortunate. We got connected with a guy a, a couple years ago, um, overseas. He was a developer and, you know, long story short, a few years ago, I was in all these programs and, you know, everyone talked about it's so sexy to scale, launch all these cities, hire all these fucking people. So I listened to everything I was told to do and don't get me wrong. We did hundreds of deals, but I was miserable. Um, I was like beyond miserable. And so one day, uh, it's probably been at least three years now, but we walked in and we literally fired like two thirds of our sales team. And we, at that time, we had a sales team of 11 people just on the sales floor. And, um, and it wasn't necessarily on them. We hired the wrong people. We didn't have the right foundation and systems. We didn't have the right training, onboarding, you know, all the above. And so um, we ended up basically waking up one day saying, hey, we're gonna rebuild this and rebuild this the right way. And we looked at each other and we said, if we're gonna keep doing this, you know, Josh has agreed to master the sales process and I um, took the responsibility of rebuilding the front end. And at the time, um, you know, someone had connected me with a guy overseas and we built a relationship where we were literally meeting like three times a day and rebuilding process after process. I probably have like 500 process documents at this point. Wow. And, wow. Um, and we just took off like that, you know, we rebuilt our entire 
you know, how a lead flows, how your phone systems flow, um, you know, just everything and how, how it worked. And it got to a point where I was really only meeting with him once a week. And from there, our company is all about taking in lead flow, landing deals, you know, raising money, et cetera. And, um, and what happened was about a year later, all my friends started reaching out in the industry that were flippers saying, you know, how are you so systemized now? And that's really how education came about is that's like how we ended up growing education. That's how my VA company, uh, my partner there now, he's grown 230 plus VAs in one office. Like we've just basically duplicated what we already do now for other people. But um, that's really how that whole process got started a few years ago with our VAs. Wow. That's wow. awesome. And so what does your guys look like in the team? Um, so Josh manages and oversees um, the sales side. So he has, uh, you know, a team lead running the sales side, you know, running one-on-ones, team huddles, daily or, uh, daily sales training, team huddles. I oversee um, our operation coordinator takes the deal from there to close. She coordinates everything. I'm just overseeing it, managing like all the KPIs and I raise all the money. Um, so I am responsible for raising money. You know, I oversee the operation of VAs. I probably spend an hour a week on that. Um, but ultimately our time is spent leading people at this point. Gotcha. gotcha. So what are you guys raising money for? Like how much of your, of your deals are you guys, um, wholesaling versus flip? So we're primarily in Columbus, Ohio, and Kansas City is our primary markets. Columbus, we probably 50-50, we 50% rehab, 50% wholesale, and then we also hold rentals. And then in Kansas City, we wholesale and wholesale. So we'll close it, list it, um, but like nice. essentially we're almost, you know, wholesaling, but we still take down properties in Kansas City. Nice, nice. So how, how does, uh, for somebody who's like out there wholesaling, and, um, you know, scared to take the deal down, right? Raising money. Um, cause there's a lot of people wholesaling that don't really do any wholetails, right? Um, so what, what does that look like for you guys and how, and where you guys, cause I know you guys got into it flipping, right? So yeah. you guys kind of went from flipping to wholesaling, right? In a sense. Um, and I know a lot of people are getting, you know, they're going the path of wholesaling to flipping or wholetailing and stuff like that. So what does that process look like? Yeah. Um, first, like if anyone's watching this, that's primarily only wholesaling, you know, this is my personal opinion and um, I'll give you some examples, but ultimately if you're not wholetailing and flipping, like you won't be allowed around for long period. And the reason <laughs> is, is because you know, like you're supposed to spend, you know, say 15 to 20% of your budget uh, in marketing to get a 5X ROI. So you, if you want to make a hundred grand, you spend 20 grand. And ultimately you're turning away deals every day. If you're not at least able to take it down and list it or take it down and double close it. Cause some deals at the end of the day, there's no spread to wholesale it. So you're walking away from a $20,000 rehab because you don't know how to do it. So um, ultimately, let's say your spread, um, your average deal size is say $9,800 right now because you primarily wholesale. But I have a lot of students where their conversion rates are actually very good. You know, they're converting better than the industry standard by campaign. Their problem is, is that their average deal size isn't where it should be compared to what they're doing because they're only assigning deals. Right. And, um, and so if you, so we got into that pickle a few years ago, we went from rehabbing only to only assigning for a year. And although we did 165 assignments, the second year we were doing business, my average spread that year was like 97 or 9,800. So I walked away from that year and I said, look, fuck doing that much volume. Like, I don't want to do another 165 deals. I would rather make three times the profit, do the right. same deal size or less. Yeah. And so I went back to wholetailing, flipping and wholesaling. Now our average deal size went up to 23 grand. Um, mm -hmm. And that's the difference. You know, you can triple your profit per deal with the same marketing spend. Um, but ultimately, you know, I, I lost 106 grand on my first flip. And I was also in an educational program that taught flipping. And I will say the biggest thing I wish someone would have told me back then, even if I was getting educated, 
is I wish that I would have found one of the biggest flippers in the town and I would have brought them a few deals and partnered with them. I don't even care if I would have made money, right? I like, even if it's, you know, enough to cover my marketing because getting real hands-on experience is way different than being in a program that teaches you how to find contractors and all that. The reality is in flipping, anyone that flips on here can probably agree that like it really takes experience to like really get it down. And flipping is like, you know, it's one thing to wholesale, take a property down, paint the walls and put carpet in. But if you're going to do an actual flip, um, you know, you really need to make sure you get educated. And in my opinion, like the best way to get thoroughly educated, and I tell my students this day, go find someone in your market, bring them the deal, ask them to split it with you as long as they're going to show you the process. Um, and so that's really like my take on how to get started doing it. Now, wholetailing is a different story. Raising money is not difficult. I think a lot of people put too much thought into it. They have a fear of, you know, asking for money. Um, but ultimately, there's hard money out there. There's ways to get creative to take a deal down. Um, and you're still missing out on deals where you could literally physically close it, list it on the MLS, and maybe you only make 10 to 15 grand, but that was 10 to 15 grand. You didn't get out of your marketing dollars if you're not doing that. Right. Right. No, I agree. I agree. And one thing that I'm curious as an operator, right? Because, um, you know, we've, we've dabbled on, cause we, we primarily, um, only do wholesaling, right? We, we don't really do any, any flipping or anything like that. And I'm curious, how do you guys, and you know, we don't have to answer this, um, but how do you guys compensate the team? Um, like for us, it's like, all right, we're wholesaling. How do you compensate the team on like flip deals? Um, yep, or the so, team gets a deal and you're like, yeah, I want to keep this thing, right? Like yep. how, how, cause we're, we're getting to that stage now. Right. Um, and I just love to pick your brain on, on that end. Yep. So what we do is um, they let's say we take a property down and it closes this month to start either wholesale it or rehab it. They get paid on the first ten thousand dollars of projected profit in the month that it closes. So you purchase buying, yeah. right? Well, so say we close it today and we're going to start rehab. So in June's or sorry, in June, in December's numbers, ten thousand dollars of the projected profit goes towards this month's numbers in their queue. Then when it clo closes, let's say it closes in May, um, and it actually makes fifty grand, we pay on the remainder forty thousand at the time that the rest of the profit comes in. So mm. it still keeps cash flow coming in for them, and is eventually they're stacking them all the time, right? So like once they're with us long enough, they have multiple stacked up. If we're holding it as a rental property, they're paid based on a ten thousand dollar assignment. Um, and that's all in their HR paperwork. So most of the time, you know, in our on our side, we're holding a rental property um, a lot of times because it's just not going to make any money doing anything else anyways. Agreed. Um, so it's a big win for the acquisition person. There have been times where, say, like, if we would have flipped it, we could have made 100 grand. So we will be fair on that and we'll do an exception to the rule. But in yep. HR paperwork, it's $10,000 assignment if we hold it as a rental. Oh, that's awesome. And then ultimately, let's say I put it in Heels Homes originally in the purchase agreement. I evaluate the deal. I decide, hey, this needs to be a rental. I'm going to go put it in my rental LLC. So at the time of closing, I assign it to my Resiliency Rentals LLC. And you can pay Heels Homes at the time of assignment the amount, you know, that fee to cover marketing and um, or your acquisitions guy. Yeah. yeah. No, I love that. That's awesome. So the first 10K doesn't matter what the total projected profit is, right? You still pay the first 10K. And then if the next, you know, when we close the deal, we make 20 grand, we make 30 grand, we make 40 grand, 50 grand, whatever it is, you're still paying 10, 10 grand up front. Yep. Love it. Love it. Um, and there's been, um, there's been like maybe two, last two years where we actually made less than 10 grand. You know, like a basement needed waterproofing. It was unexpected, whatever. But, you know, they end up getting paid more ultimately. Yeah. And it's a standard for my company. Like we aren't taking this thing down if we ain't making 10 grand. So. Gotcha. And um, how how does the team um, how does the team feel like do they want more flips? Do they want more? 
wholetails? Do they want more wholesales? Like, how does how does the the team feel about it? They love flips. Yep. They gotcha. get excited when I mean, we make a lot of money contract. on flips. Yeah. Uh, we are our flips are probably four to five x the profit versus a wholesale in my market. Mm. Um, and wow. ultimately, you know, one of our top core values is the number one core value on our board is faith. And ultimately, the sales team doesn't even honestly think about it. Like their job yeah. is to get deals in contract and move on. And then our yeah. um, leadership is the one evaluating the exit strategy and going from there based on inspection and all the other things that come after the deal gets in contract. So they do love flips though, man. Our flips make four <laughs> to five times as much money as our wholesales. So tying in that core value, and, and this is a whole other discussion, but um, our team has to have faith that we as leadership is, is making decisions that's on their best behalf and on the company's best behalf. Yeah you know, uh, to be around for the next five, 10, 15, 20 years. Yeah. 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 I, I agree. And, and, um, it's, it's important to have that, right? Because I feel like, you know, when Tiffany said that she was, you know, years ago was talking about her, you know, just seeing her parents being able to be at her brother's side and seeing that the business was still performing. And that was kind of like a light bulb to her. Right. I feel like people don't get into this business with that mindset. And because of that, they treat it like a side hustle for the big, you know what I mean? For like the first year, two years, it's just a side hustle. Right. Um, and because you guys went into it with that mindset of, I'm going to treat this as a business, I'm going to scale. I'm going to try to build something that can run with or without me. Right. In case this ever, you know, something bad again happens and I have to be at somebody's side for 300 days out of a year. Right. Um, then you start to kind of change the way you approach this business and leadership is huge. Right. So can you guys kind of talk a little bit about that? Because um, a lot of people watching, you know, some people are just getting started. Some people have done a ton of deals and are looking to scale and start going to the next level, start hiring people. Um, and I feel like you, you know, you just touched on leadership, which is huge, right? W one of the biggest things when, when scaling and growing a team. Um, so can you guys kind of talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Um, I'm gonna talk a little bit about the front end. I want him to talk about, um, from like a sales perspective, one of the biggest things, um, you know, I come from the oil industry, the building materials industry that I genuinely hate about our industry is that like 99.9% .9 of people in this industry, like you said, it's like a side hustle or they, they stay one to three man shows. And, um, and I don't know if it's like, you know, the education that brings us up as wholesalers, ultimately, um, investing into people is going to be your number one asset you know, forever. And ultimately look at any major company in any industry. It takes five plus years to genuinely and truly build the right team, put middle management in place, and then learn how to lead middle management. And typically there's all these phases in scaling up. Like the, the people that get you to your first million typically aren't the same people to get you to the next million. You got to put in middle management, sales leaders, operations leaders, and um, for some reason in our industry, people come into these programs thinking, well, I want to be working on the business, not in the business. That mm -hmm. shit does not happen in the first few years. Like, I don't like I don't care who told you what it doesn't happen. And if it did, if it really did, you like honestly aren't growing big enough because to grow big enough to truly remove you, you have to learn how to groom leaders, not just people. For you to be removed, you can't just like train some acquisitions people, right? You got to train the acquisitions people. Then you got to train a sales manager. Then you got to train an operations leader where those people are good enough to train other people. And I feel like people skip that piece right there. And then they wonder why they're in the grind and then it doesn't end up working. And right. so if you're coming in this long term and you want to be here 5, 10, 20 years from now, you got to get over the fucking fact that you're going to be like working on the business in less than a year because it's not going to happen. Yeah. And, and I, and I think that ultimately, like, you know, I get the, you hear the words, well, I wanna, you make all these seven figures drive a Lambo and do all the shit. But 
ultimately to get there, like you have to have leaders in place and it can't just be you. The leaders got to be underneath of you and you got to be good at training them. And I think that like a lot of the education in the industry, they're, they're teaching you how to be good at something. They're teaching you to get a deal done and they're teaching you how to chase shit. They're not very good at teaching you how to onboard, train and manage people based on metrics, black and white facts, and understand the data that goes into running the company. Um, and I just think that like, ultimately, we've really got to take a step back and in our education as us gurus out there and take more responsibility for teaching people how to onboard, train and manage people and understand the numbers that go into this, into the running this operation. You know, there's wow. actually a key concept I want to bring up. John C. Maxwell talks about this in his book, 21 Irrefutable Laws of Leadership. And I, I don't know if it's the first or the second chapter, but he talks about a concept called the law of the lid. And what he says is the level of leadership that we have is going to be the cap of the level of our organization. So, for example, on a scale of one to 10, if we're a level four leader, our organization will be maxed out at a level four organization. But if we grow or if we can work up to a level seven, now all of a sudden our organization has room to grow into that level seven organization. So a lot of times we're not even focused on the leadership piece. And that's the one thing that's, that's capping us. And that's the bottleneck. And like Tiff said, you know, it's so unfortunate um, that, you know, people complain a lot in our industry about having their sales floor as a revolving door. And that's ultimately a result of poor leadership. And the fact that we just throw a salesperson a script and say, Hey, go lock up deals. There's a lot more to it than just that, you know? Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I agree. And I'm happy that you bring that up because, you know, sales to me and wholesaling is everything, right? Sales to me is, is, you know, we talked about that early on, like, doesn't matter the list, doesn't matter what you're doing. Like if, if you lists, like you said, create opportunities, right? And once you have those opportunities, you got to be able to close them. And if, if you can't close those deals, you're not going to get a contract, right? And so what does the leadership look like in, in your sales team? And and um, Tiffany mentioned that you guys are doing like daily sales huddles and stuff like that. So can you break that down for us? Absolutely. So it all starts with having a meeting rhythm. And that's a number of meetings, having a weekly team meeting, having daily sales huddles, having weekly one-on-one -on -one performance reviews. And when you do these things, it, that provides the time and accountability for you to hold your team accountable and coach them. Uh, so in our um, in our daily huddles, we talk about our metrics from the day before. This is where we pull accountability in. Hey, were you accountable to the metrics that you're responsible for in order to, for us to get to the end result that we need, which is deals and profits, right? Um, also in our daily huddles, we do a daily sales training. Um, one key concept that we've adopted with our daily sales training is that we focus on four fundamentals. A lot of times people, when they implement this, they are looking at the Grant Cardone's, the Wolf of Wall Street's, like all these guys who have totally different philosophies when it comes to sales and they're throwing a totally different tactic at their sales team every single day. And the reality is none of it ever gets implemented. Right. right. Um, so instead we've, we've adopted the concept. Uh, Bruce Lee has a, had a quote that I absolutely love. And it's, um, I don't fear the man who's practiced 10,000 kicks just one time. Rather, I fear the man who's practiced one kick 10,000 times, meaning that he's been a, a trained assassin on that one move, right? Um, so I want our team to be so freaking good at these core four fundamentals that we don't even have to think in the moment. We can react and the way that we react. We've built such great muscle memory that it's correct. No, I love that. What are those? What is the core four? That's a great question. So the first one is overcoming objections. Okay. Uncovering motivation, which is arguably one of the most important pieces of a conversation with a seller, right? Diving into their situation. Um, setting clear expectations. And uncovering anything that's going to get in the way of the prospect taking any kind of action, right? What we call roadblocks. Mm. Those four things. So, so when we do daily sales training, um, we have a team meeting on Mondays and we identify, you know, maybe based on last week's coaching calls, 
our team might not be digging into motivation deep enough. So, hey, this week we're covering motivation. So we identify that on Monday. We go over the theory and the how on Tuesday and Wednesday. We role play Thursday, Friday on that topic. So all week we're focused on that one topic. Gotcha. 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 Okay. Okay. I love it. And I think the most, I think one thing that goes like, you know, before you even set in meeting rhythms and all that, you know, adding structure to a sales force. Um, a few years ago, after we had let go of all those um, sales folks and we said, Hey, we're going to rebuild this. We hired a guy that managed a multi-million dollar phone sales company. He scaled phone sales and, you know, was insanely successful at it, but it wasn't in real estate. So what we did is we hired him to come in. He sat on our floor and he consulted us, watched our team. How do they communicate? What phones are they using? What metrics are being tracked by? Um, and all, you know, the whole big picture. And he basically came to us and said, Hey, you guys are doing this all wrong. Like, you know, you need, there's two skill sets in sales. There's the piranha and there's the closer. The piranha is what we call our fault specialists. They're really good at chasing stuff in the system, getting uh, callers on the phone you know, getting them warmed up and passing them to the closer. The closer has the skill set of really walking a seller through that process and getting the contract closed. And ultimately, um, you know, I'll never forget, he, you know, he said, you know, a closer should be sitting at a desk with their legs crossed, sipping some coffee, waiting for a deal to close. And that's their skill set. So we want them focused on closing. Um, and also like the speed of communication, you know, back then, I, I was unfortunately using call rail and I was hand dialing numbers and that's not productive. So people only make 67 dials a day like that. If someone made only 60 dials a day on my team, now they'd be fired. Like that's just not even an option. Um, so now like is putting an effective phone system in front of them. Um, but ultimately it all starts with recruiting and, and hiring the right people in the first 90 days of onboarding them. I think that that ultimately sets us up for success and the way that we lead them moving forward. Gotcha. gotcha. So let's go into tools, if that's okay with you. You talked about breaking down metrics, tools that your sales staff is using to be able to no longer hand dial. Um, and as they're making these calls, you're also on the back end tracking everything so that you can hold everybody accountable, but also be able to see what's going on day to day on the business, you know, and, and train from, the day before, hey, yesterday, you guys were slacking. You guys didn't make a lot of calls, you know. Go, um, so what what tools are you guys using now that's allowing you to, you know, effectively track everything and measure everything uh, on an instant? Yep. So we um, so we have a custom Podio build out. Um, our phone system is smartphone. Um, okay. And we have a custom um, flow for it in the back end. So we have an app within Podio. And then we have automated reports that get sent to us twice a day. So um, in our system, we're tracking, we're not having them pay attention to this, but we're paying attention to, you know, the dial count. So at um, 1 p.m. and 8 p.m., I'm getting an automated report emailed to me both day, or every day. It's saying, you know, dial count. It's saying how many breaks um, were between one and two minutes, two to three, five to six, 10 plus. So I know like, hey, like, Maybe our dial count might be low. Like I'm noticing a bunch of 10 minute breaks. I don't normally micromanage it, but if I notice something seems like a red flag indicator, that's a signal for me. Cause I'm also on the report say, Hey Josh, like what's going on? You know, X, Y, Z person doesn't look like they seem to be productive. And that gives him the opportunity as a leader to say back to me, well, they just sent two contracts out. That's why they haven't made the calls today, but right. it, it allows me to catch things much faster then waiting a week to find out that my team, why my team isn't performing. Right. Um, also, the beauty about the phone system is that it gives you the ability to live transfer. So all of our follow specialists, we don't set appointments, we live transfer people so we're getting them on the spot. It allows you to whisper and barge, which allows us as leaders to train our people better. So for example, let's say a closer's on the phone, they need help. They're signaling the uh, leader, whether it's virtual or in person, we can barge into the call or we can whisper in and we can coach them through the call. We can say, hey, say this next and the seller won't hear it. So ultimately it's a, a way for us to lead. We also have it custom built out so we can pull live calls on the spot. And in, when we go into our weekly one-on-ones, we can use those now to coach and train through, listen through it. Did they follow every step of the process? 
um, you know, they have the app on their phone. So ultimately every call that they're doing is through Wi-Fi. I don't want them using their cell phones to make any dials to our, our, our clients and they're all recorded, we're tracked. Um, and then within Podio, we're tracking how many pass-offs did a follow specialist have, how many processes is my closer having and how many offers and ultimately how many contracts out. Wow, that's awesome. And what are you guys expecting of your team? Like what, what are the metrics? Like you said, somebody's doing 60, 60 hand dials in my office, you know, a day they're out, right? So what, what are the metrics that you guys are expecting from your closers, from your team? Hey, follow-up managers, you need X amount of transfers a week, X amount of transfers a month. Um, closers, you need X amount of contracts every week. You know, what? How, how are you guys tracking that? Yep, that's a great question. So the expectations that we have from a closer starts with having two deals a week, okay? Um, now, one thing we're not tracking on a daily basis, and our sales team never talks about this, and I want to talk about this. We don't track dials. Yep. And the reason why we don't track dials is because when we did that and we had a minimum expectation on, hey, you have to have 100 dials a day. What happened was, let's say towards the end of the day, they're not even close or you know, they're, they're so focused on getting that dial count. And what I started to see would, was people would call someone, they'd ring five times out of 10 rings and they'd hang up to call the next person because yeah. they're so focused on getting to that 100 dial count. So instead I said, Hey, listen, I don't care how many dials you make and we do to a degree, but I'm not setting a minimum expectation and making that the focus. Rather, I'd, I'd prefer to focus on uh, the quality conversations. So how many quality conversations are we having in any given day? And then for every two uh, quality conversations, there should be a, at least one offer. And what is, uh, uh, if I can just, just pick apart right there, what is a quality conversation for you guys? A quality, con a quality conversation is um, when we go all the way through our script, okay? Mm. Um, we're calling that a process call. That's the term that we use. And so essentially we got through motivation They're they're showing motivation. So we went through property condition, set expectations for another call. That doesn't always mean that like, you know, ultimately we get through the property and we find out, you know, this just isn't a good deal for us. We might prefer, we might refer it to an agent or something, but ultimately the stats say for every two processes or some people call it quality conversations is equals an offer. And then ultimately we've been tracking, you know, how many offers it takes to get a deal for, you know, every quarter, every day for years now. And ultimately our company lands one out of, is it three or four? It's less than three right now. Yeah. One of less than three offers. Right so now. ultimately we know then if it takes less one, let's just call it three offers to get a contract and we need X, Y, Z contracts. We, you know, we divide by, by three and we back all the data down to how many leads a day I need to provide to get how many quality conversations, to get how many offers, to get how many deals. It's, and it's all science. Hmm. And I want to go back to the numbers real quick, if that's okay. How many quality conversations do you expect your team members to have? Yep. So one thing that's really important, again, starting with the end result, two deals, okay? Converting deals. at converting at uh, one of every three offers is six offers a week, which means that we need to have at least 12 quality conversations for the entire week, which is going to be between two to three quality conversations a day. Gotcha. And one thing, um, you know, some, some people out there have learned uh, just from doing the education side is they believe in like these one call closes or that every seller gets an offer. We don't, we don't believe in that. Um, so like you're not getting an offer unless you're motivated times right and that we've taken the process right right yeah or else you're just spinning wheels just spinning yeah wheels. i mean we have a limited amount of time and we need to spend our time and energy on the people that are going to be the best fit for us right so who so you you mentioned your team is is making offers and then the the upper management is, is deciding hey this one we're going to wholesale this one we're going to flip this one we're going to right so who is deciding like in the negotiations right with the sellers you know you're you're because obviously it the numbers I, I could be wrong but i would assume that the numbers are different right on each side right like if we can get it at this price we can wholesale it if we need it at this if we have to buy it at this price then we got to wholesale it or whatever right so who's making the decision on the on the front end as far as what you can 
put the property under contract for? Yep, that's a great question. So what I do is I have our acquisitions person, after they do the process, they do the due diligence. So they run the comps, they save their comps, they put together a, a repair estimate based on a repair cheat sheet that we have. And one thing we do in our onboarding is we train thoroughly uh, on our, our acquisitions to know enough to be dangerous as far as putting together um, a line item repair estimate to be within five to 10% of what that repair cost should be. Mm. Um, so they have their ARV, they have their repair costs. And then depending upon the area they know, because we train on this, they know, hey, there's a hedge fund type buyer that might buy this. There's um, other rehabbers that might buy this. We might rehab that. Uh, so they're making recommendations on, hey, I think we can make this price because of X, Y, Z. Then I have it, I come in and I do a final review and I say, hey, I agree. Or maybe I can even bump that up a little bit more because I know a buyer or another exit that might be um, more advantageous and, and help us put that deal together. Gotcha. gotcha. So I want to know, I want to phrase this question the right way. How many deals are you getting hit up with every day to analyze? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, it could be anywhere from like two to four on any given day. Um, no, it's on, more a, than that. on a light day. Um, I haven't really tracked that, honestly. It's <laughs> just being real. And then yeah. how do you think about it, you're having, um, I don't know, however many quality conversations a day, like ultimately you're making the final decision on those offers. Yeah. Um, so that's yeah. a lot. So how do you plan on delegating that? So we've done that's, really that's good. That's my challenge. Yeah. So in the past, our team wasn't the greatest at doing the due diligence piece. Um, but now in our onboarding, we train them how to rehab. So we have literally trained them line item. We train them thoroughly on what to understand out of the rehab costs. So our staff is really good at coming up with an accurate repair estimate. And, the, and we're a big believer of having salespeople in office, speed yep. of communication, all that. Um, so anyways, like literally it takes seconds now that they are so good at the due diligence They've already got it figured out. You come over, you're like, hey, here's the numbers, here's the comps, review this. This is my thoughts. What's your thoughts? And we're reviewing. You know, one thing that's really important that I didn't bring up, and this is probably why I said the number that I did, is because um, we have boots on the ground. We outsource all of our dispositions. We have boots on the ground that does our dispositions in Kansas City. So all Kansas City deals, our team's reaching out to him. I'm not even a part of that underwriting. Mm -hmm. and same thing here. Our team knows our buy box. If we're going to take down a renovation, they're coming to me. If they know it's outside of our buy box, the only way it makes sense is if it's going to be a wholesale, they go to our Columbus Dispo person. And gotcha. they're the ones that are saying, hey, this price works or it doesn't. So are they like AV partners and stuff, like other wholesalers? Um, so we in, Columbus, or in Kansas City, we have a guy who's an agent. Um, he's been in the game for 30 plus years. He's renovated thousands of properties. He's our boots on the ground. Um, he dispose it and or takes it down, list it if we need to put a light reno, et cetera. Um, so he is a, you know, essentially like a JV partner in Columbus. We also have a similar situation. We have an agent. Um, they're essentially boots on the ground, but they're only doing the wholesaling for us. So ultimately, when my when my sales team thinks, okay, this there's no way this is going to be a rehab for us based on our buying criteria, they're communicating directly with her and not Josh. Gotcha. Okay. And she's saying, Hey, yeah, I looked at the numbers. You know, I think, I think I might have a buyer, but you got to get it at this price and they're communicating together. Oh, that's uh, awesome. That's awesome. That's huge. So, so you have kind of outsourced that. To a degree. Yeah. For the wholesaling side. Yes. Like if anything's going to get taken down with money, we're definitely getting involved right. for right. final decision. Okay. Okay. Yeah. No, that makes sense. And that's the reason why I was asking is because that's, you know, our hardest part to to delegate, right, is still calling those final shots on because you don't want to miss out on a deal, right? You don't want to miss out on a deal because somebody doesn't know or whatever, or you know, yeah. this area or like you said, you know, hey, the numbers don't make sense. But shit, we got a hedge fund buyer where they'll buy where the numbers don't make sense. So fuck it. Let's lock it up and, you yeah. know, whatever. Right. For so sure. you don't want to miss out on those deals. Um, so. You know, it's hard to 
give up that final, you know, that final stamp on the deal. Not because, you know, it's easy to tell if you can get it at 40%, like, dude, you don't got to come to me, you know, just lock it up. If you can get it at 50%, you don't got to come to me. If you can get it at 60%, ah, shit, don't come to me. Right. But it's all those other deals that like, Hey, it's a clean property. It's, you know, doesn't need a lot of work. ARV's 200, seller's willing to take 165, right? Like there's some meat on the bone where with the right exit strategy, you can still make money. So it's, I kind of want to like, I still want to look at everything, but I don't yeah. have all the time to look at everything, right? Um, and then, you know, just the other day, like, because we, we do a lot of JV deals and, you know, wholesaler brought us a deal. You know, one of our team members was like, yeah, I, I don't think it's it's a deal. And it, and it wasn't really a deal except for one buyer, yeah. right? It was, there's just like one buyer that I know it's not a hedge fund or anything. It's just, I know this one guy that like, dude, I know he'll pick this up. Right. And, um, you know, I stepped in and I was like, Hey, let's, uh, let's, let's just shop it to this one guy, you know, tell the, tell the JV wholesaler, lock it up. We'll shop it to this one guy. He ended up going, we're making 22 grand on it. Jeez. Right. Yeah. And it's and I just a wholesale up. deal. Yeah. We sold it. Be, it. It was like sold and locked up same day. Right. And it was just because I know, you know, because we're in it, you know, we, we, we've spent the five years grinding all day talking on the selling the properties, whatever. So I know. And, you know, like just when I think and, and so this is the hard part of letting go. Right. Just when I think it's all, you know, it's all good. I make one decision, we make 22 grand. It's like, fuck, how do, how do I continue to train and delegate that part? Right. Yeah. Which is my biggest challenge. I have yeah. a question. Do, um, do you have dispo in house? Yes. Who handles that? Is it a disposition team or are you still doing dispo? Uh, no, no, no. We have a disposition team. Yeah. Yeah. Do you have someone on your team that's, uh, been around long enough to where they've seen several of those types of situations? Um, yes and no. So basically ARV on this house is 80 grand. Seller wanted 80 grand, but I know the one guy Yeah, that he picked it up for 102 grand, but it's just, it just happened to like, I don't, I don't know. And, and it's just one of those things where we could have shopped it to the dude and he could have been like, no. Right. right. Um, but I don't know how to, because other than that, like it's just those one little one, you know, one, two, three little deals. Um, but no, they, they don't have the five years of, of grinding that I have. Right. right? Um, mo you know, my, my dispo team, um, my JV guy has been with us the longest. Um, so that's why he's the JV guy. Cause he's seen a, you know, dispo. He used to be a disposition manager, yeah. um, for like two years now. And then now he handles all of our JV deals. He's still dispos, um, but mainly he's just JVing with people. Um, and he's been with us the longest in my dispositions uh, team. But no, I mean, the, the, my team has not been around long enough to see, you know, those, those yeah. gut feeling of just this deal doesn't make sense on paper, but let me make one phone call. Right. Yeah, and I mean, that's just kind of got to know that one. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's where, um, like when we talk about delegating and removing hats and stuff. Um, so I actually did dispo for the longest time. One, because I'm also a rehabber. So I wanted to be in front of other buyers and wholesalers mm -hmm. too, because I wanted their deals. Yep. Um, but ultimately, if there's one position I think an owner should be involved with until it's absolutely like someone's ready to take it over, whether you delegate it or outsource it or whatever is dispo. Um, cause you gotta think about like, what's your time worth? And when you're maximizing exit strategies, it's thousands of dollars. So your time is worth that right now. You know what I mean? And, um, that's why I always say like, it's damn near impossible to remove yourself from the business the first you know few years. Cause someone else has to take on the experience that you did in order to make those decisions. Now right. you obviously took a while because someone probably didn't have the training to put it right in front of you the fastest. Um, so someone else will be able to learn much faster under you. But um, ultimately, you know, and at the end of the day, you know, I used to oversee a bunch of like thousands of trucking companies. 
And the owner, even if they had 300 employees, the owner loved the business so much that they always came in and whatever the part of the business they actually loved doing, they actually still did a part of it, whether it was like for an hour a day, whatever, like they're involved in decision-making, et cetera. Um, And I think sometimes we get too caught up in like, oh, I need to be doing nothing and sitting on my couch and delegating everything. And like, I get it. Like we're here to be entrepreneurs. We're here to delegate. We're here to grow other companies and all this stuff. But it takes time and like we need to appreciate that journey in that time. Agreed. And, and ultimately in order for someone to take over some of those decisions, they have to get the experience under their belt in order to do it. Mm-hmm. Um, the reason why we've been able to delegate it is because a year ago we decided to just completely outsource dispositions. Right. And that's what's really helped free our time with it because now my staff goes directly to them makes them run the comps and they want the deals, right? Cause they're making a percentage. So they're, they're all about getting these deals. Um, and our staff in the beginning and onboarding and through experience over time, they start to understand like, Hey, this isn't a deal, but I think you guys have like this one hedge fund buyer that this might be a deal for. And so they know to at least ask the question. They don't just skip over the deal. They'll at least say, Hey, like, um, I, I feel like this is too close not to look into like, is this a deal for anyone? And versus saying, oh, this isn't, this doesn't meet this exact buying criteria or whatever. Yeah. No, I agree. And I love Dispo too. Dispo is, is, you know, the one, I I just, you know, I've always looked over kind of as, as me and my business partner started delegating stuff, I mainly looked over dispositions and transactions and uh, our transaction coordination and Dispo is just, I mean, it's just the best. For me, it's the best. You get to talk to investors all day and you get to talk investments all day. Um, I, you know, I've closed tons of deals, but at that point, it's more of a, you know, it's more of a closing game and and you have to deal with sellers' emotions and, and all that. Um, so I, I find myself all day basically just putting out fires, right? Yep. Hey, we sold this property. Now there's a squatter. The buyer's pissed. What do we do? Right. Um, it's like, oh shit, we just sold this thing yesterday. It was vacant yesterday. Now there's a squatter there. What's going on? <laughs> and you want to take care of your buyer. You don't want him to be like, well, shit, I'm not buying a house from this guy. Like, whatever. So that's like where I find most of my time um, being spent. But at the same time, like, I, I know I also want to delegate my leader's responsibilities as well over time. Right. Um, Because they're spending a lot of time doing things. So I just was curious on who's calling the shots on the properties. Because when, because we are more of a higher volume, less profit margin kind of operation compared to you guys. Um, So, you know, we're analyzing a lot of deals every day. Right. And and making a lot of offers every single day. Um, And when you have to put your final stamp on things, you know, you're just all day basically just making final decisions on. And right now, my business partner, my disposition sales manager, and my operations manager are all at, at the IMN conference, the hedge fund uh, yeah. event in Phoenix. So I'm holding down the fort, and it is just insane. <laughs> the amount of properties that acquis- like, I didn't realize the amount of properties that acquisitions is sending to my ops manager every single day. Yo, what's you know, seller wants one thirty. My my max on the you know in podio is telling me one ten. Can we do one thirty? It's like oh shit. All right, let me analyze it. Let me see if we can do it. Right, and I'm like okay, cool. Fire, and then three more properties. Yo, podio saying max you know two ten. Seller wants two eighteen. Can we do it? It's like all right, let me look in whatever. So that acquisition's constantly going to my ops manager. I'm seeing like. Dude, this is taking a lot of time all day just analyzing, putting the final. And I know it's a, you know, it it, it is worth it. You got to do it. Um, I'm just trying to see how other teams delegate that final stamp um, because you don't want to miss out on a deal. I hate like, shit, yeah. you offered the media like, dude, we could have fucking paid them a hundred grand and got the deal and still made 20 grand on it. Yeah. Right. Um, so yeah, that's. I mean, it good. is time consuming. I mean, I don't know about you. Um, but like the one part of the business I love is 
what you're talking about. Like I love evaluating deals. Like I love raising money for it. I love figuring out what are we going to do with this next? Because ultimately, you know, typically we started as a wholesaler, then we start maybe wholetailing, maybe taking down properties. But the real end goal here to reach freedom is to own rental properties. And um, although we think, oh, we should be delegating all this, that one deal that like we keep saying, oh, we should delegate this, that deal, if you evaluate it and realize, oh, I could hold this is worth, you know, maybe 300 grand to you in 20 years paid off. Mm -hmm. Um, So like you really got to think about like it is, in my opinion, for a while, it's worth your time. And it takes someone else to get the right experience to evaluate it like you could And that doesn't happen overnight. I think it takes months of experience sitting alongside you or a senior acquisitions or whatever senior dispo that has evaluated hundreds of deals with you already. Right. Um, But ultimately, like, as an owner, it just, everyone's vision is different. And like, that's my favorite part of the whole, whole organization is I love evaluating deals. Mm. Yeah, I, I just want to the phone and talk with investors all day. If I could just cold call investors with my inventory sheet and just figure <laughs> out how to sell them this deal, that's that's my favorite part. Yeah. So so you guys are getting, you know, obviously you guys have reached a level where a lot of people want to be at, and you guys are getting hit up by a bunch of investors, a bunch of people, you know, just asking you how to, you know, how can I pick your brain? How can I get to where you're at? Um, so, and I know that's kind of forced you guys and that's kind of what forced us to start doing shows like this and stuff like that, right? It's just constantly getting hit up like, yo, can you teach me this? Can you teach me this? Whatever. Um, so you guys have re you know, recently gotten a little more serious in the education space, right? Yep. Yeah. So a couple years ago, uh, I mean, we didn't honestly have any intention of getting in the space and then as we started scaling out and growing, we had, you know, we had, were in other, a lot of other programs as well. And our yeah. friends started coming to us saying, Hey, like, you know, I started way before you and I haven't gotten to where you're going. Like, can you evaluate what's going on with my business? Um, and so it was about two and a half years ago. And I just like broke down crying one day and was like, I keep giving all my friends all my time and it's taken away from my business. And, um, so I called, you know, I, at the time it was like, you know, 15 people or something. I called them all. And I said, look, I have no problem showing you guys exactly what I do, but I need to value my time. So one, we're going to do this on one call and I'm going to value my time. So that was like how the virtual group came about. I didn't even have a name for it. I just said, look, Hey, for the next four weeks, you're all meeting me on Thursday. We're going to do this for two hours, you know, take it or leave it. This is how I'm going to show you how. And ultimately they spread the word and, um, it's been, but, um, and then they came through the virtual group and, you know, we teach in the virtual group about all the systems, the foundation, the marketing, the script process. And it's really about building a strong foundation before we even talk about building people on top of it. Mm. And so the two day workshop came about and at the two day workshop, we literally, when you walk in that door, we onboard you. We want to, we want to show you how thorough we are in onboarding training and managing people. Um, and so we put you through our onboarding processes. If you come on board as an employee, and then we show you, we do a live performance review in, in front of you. We go through all of our metrics, our HR docs, everything, you know, the whole nine yards. Um, and then that's really how the two day workshop came about. And I'm a big believer. I don't care if you're doing 50 deals a month. I always put you in the virtual group first because no matter, you know, I even still have stuff to optimize in my front end, just like you and me for a half a day. I'm sure we'll learn something from each other. And, um, so anyways, I'm a big believer of like, Hey, let's talk about your front end first before we teach you how to really build people. And then people started walking away from the two day workshop over a couple of years saying, Hey, like how I need you to help me train my and onboard my sales team. Like you guys do. Um, and ultimately it turned into a six month program and that's really how the whole thing got built over time. Uh, and it's, it's just all been built of word of mouth right now. So it's, um, it's been awesome. We've probably had about, you know, five to 600 students come through in the last couple of years. Wow. Wow. That's awesome. And you guys are still doing the the, um, the two-day workshops, right? You guys recently had one, right? Kind of not yeah. too long ago? Yeah, we have one actually next week as well. 
next week. Okay. And how can people, if people watching want to, you know, uh, go to that event, is it, are they still able to attend that event or how does that work? Do they have to join the virtual group? Um, so, uh, next week sold out. We have one in January. Um, and on our Tiffany and Josh there's a wet, like a web form you can fill out and we'll jump on a call or you can go to my Instagram page and there's a form. Um, we don't like really teach newbies, so we qualify everyone that comes in even for the virtual group. Mm -hmm. Um, so ultimately like our program is not to teach someone what a purchase agreement is and what escrow is like we, you know, even the virtual group is, I want to say not complex, but like we go over a lot of details around all the flows and systems. Hell yeah. yeah. Awesome. Awesome. And for people to, to, you know, just follow you and constantly see you all the time. Like where, where can they uh, check you guys out? Uh, so on Instagram, um, we're at Tiffany high official and Josh high official. Um, and we're on Facebook, but ultimately you'll see us pretty active on Instagram and Facebook. Awesome. Awesome. Cool. Perfect. Well, I took a shit ton of notes. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm jacked because it's, it's cool to see people that, that take action, get results. Right. And so it's just, proof of concept to me that, you know, we're all, we're, we're doing the right thing. We're on, we're on the, you know, we, we have different methods of obtaining su success, but we're all doing it through the same kind of platform, right? We're all marketing for sellers, negotiating contracts, building a sales team. You get the deal, you figure out an exit strategy and it just, it gives me peace of mind. You know what I mean? That there are other people crushing it and that there's still room right um because i'm sure there's a lot of people getting into the game in columbus ohio and you guys are still able to crush it no matter how many people are trying to get in the industry you know just with with the right mindset and the right work ethic you will crush the competition um so for anybody watching you know that's that's one thing that i don't i don't think we touched on but just by the way you guys talking of everything that you do like I can tell you guys have an insane work ethic, right? You grind every single day. You show up every single day. And it's not about showing up for you now. It's about showing up for your team also, right? And, and leading, leading from the front, right? And so in order to lead from the front, you need to have a very, very strong work ethic. And I don't feel like we touched on that, but I can tell that um, from your conversation. Um, it's about being present, showing up every single day, and leading from the front, showing to your team, hey, if you're not going to do this, I'm going to do this. So jump, you know, jump on this ride with me and let's all get there together. Um, so again, uh, Tiffany and Josh, thank you so much for doing this. Everybody learned a ton. Um, I appreciate and, you having us on. Yeah, yeah. And, and um, I need to get some of those sneakers. I know, right? These are for sale. No, I'm kidding. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I do, I do want to come check your guys' operation out one day. Um, yeah, for sure. You I, should I, come I, up to a, an event and stay for a day. Yes, yes. I'm in. I'm in. Um, cool. When is your next one in January? Um, it's January 10th and 11th. Perfect. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Um, anybody watching, please make sure you reach out to them. Follow them. Um, they are movers and shakers doing so much volume and business and only freaking four and a half to five years in this game which is insane um so thank you guys again for doing this guys we will be live next week again um on a tuesday night at 9 p.m um eastern peace